if a property is buildable, it's generally going to be worth more than a property that's just solely recreational and has no potential to build. Most properties are buildable if you put in the effort and maybe the extra money in order to make them buildable, but most properties are buildable. The ones that are not are ones that don't have access or the slope is too steep or they're all wetlands or something like that. So we generally deal in the properties that are buildable, but from time to time we'll get a property that's really not, I mean, maybe it's potentially buildable, but it's maybe not the best use for the property. Welcome to Turning Profit, a podcast for people that love real estate. Learn the business models and skills that professional real estate investors use to make money and build wealth. Visit turningprofit.com for a wealth of investor resources. And now, here are your hosts, Pete and Heather Reese. Welcome to the Turning Profit Podcast, Heather. It's so great to be here once again. I think we should make seven be like, welcome back to another episode of Turning Profit. Okay, well, if you think you can do the intro better, maybe you should try it next time. Like a soap opera from like the <laughs> 90s. Oh, okay. You well. know, we can have that music. Yeah, sure. We're, I'm happy to do that if you like. We can mix it up. You're going to or something? Huh? <laughs> You're not no. happy to do that? <laughs> no, but I'm talking about for next time. I need okay. to prepare. If okay. I'm going to do something different, I need to practice it in the mirror a bunch of times. Okay, that makes sense. So what are we talking about today? <laughs> We're talking about due diligence. And due diligence, I know, may sound a little bit scary. Due diligence is somewhat the process of just determining what you think you're buying is is what you're actually getting. It's like the time frame from like you enter into the due diligence period and it's where you get to do all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way to put it. You know, like after you get under contract to buy a property, it's the whole list of things that we do in order to just kind of verify that everything's good with that property. There are no red flags, as we call them. And it's a property that we actually want to continue with and actually close that purchase. So we've got a whole checklist that we use. And that checklist is actually included in our free training program that will be released soon. Where? You can find it at landconquest.com. <gasps> yes. And, and if you haven't heard the announcement yet, uh, landconquest.com, that is the place where you can go if to enter our private community. And there's a big orange buttons all over the site there. You just press them. You enter into our land flipping community called Land Conquest. And uh, yeah, we'd love to see you there. Land conquest. Yes, that's. I'm not going to say it there. I like that's not how you. In, in my head, every time I hear it, I hear it like a okay. video game. Land conquest. Yeah. So the training program is actually coming along very well. I'm getting about. I think I'm probably about 80 percent done at this point. So it's just kind of finishing up some of the uh, last videos and some of the final touches, and it, it will be released soon. I promise. Awesome. Okay. So normally at this point, I talk about some sort of real estate in the news, right? Yeah. Current events, real estate, current events. Do you have any for this week? I mean, really, I, I was thinking about it like for a couple of days now, like what's going on and it, there's nothing. I mean, it's the same old, same old bank failures. <laughs> Just the same old, same old <laughs> bank failures. People and... scared banks are going to fail. Mm -hmm. It seems like the ones that are having the troubles, not, not necessarily because of any fault of their own are the ones that have like the best financing or, or customer service for investors or mm -hmm. so. So yeah, some of the banks that are really taking a hit are ones that are heavily involved in the real estate sector. But I don't think it's their fault this time. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Last time that last market crash that, that was, you know, 
there's a lot of shady stuff going on and a lot of people just kind of thinking that things would be okay. They do all these kind of questionable loans and things, and it wasn't okay. Yeah. <laughs> it turned slash, out to be yeah. kind of a big problem. Mm-hmm. But uh, this time, it doesn't seem like it's that bad. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Right. And we'll so, see how many banks ultimately fail as a result of this. <laughs> what? It's so ridiculous that it's just like nonchalant. But yeah. because last time it was like a big deal. Uh-huh. And now I don't think that only certain percentage of the population even know or care. Uh-huh. I, know. I know. It's just different. But um, Are you okay. pulling your money out of the bank, by the way? I'm not going to tell you where I keep my money. Oh, okay. I'm yes. going to tell you what I'm doing with it either. Yes. Well, I, I try to get the account numbers and stuff from you, but you hide them from me. Right. So. That's exactly it. That's so funny. <laughs> I, that is interesting, though, because I've talked to people who don't, you know, they don't share banking or like mm-hmm. they don't like our funds are commingled. Mm-hmm. And they have been since even before we got married, I think. Right. Commingled? Yeah. I think so. Mm-hmm. So like once we decided this, you know, we were going to partake on this partnership. Partnership. Okay. <laughs> um, is that the way you see it, Heather? Yes. Okay. Is it not an equal partnership? No. Well, I, th- I figured we were married. That's what I considered it. But Oh, but like, yeah, it's a marriage, but also we're, we're partners and all this stuff, right? We are, yes. Okay. So I use the, chain, the term interchangeably, but um, you got me there. I was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't consider, uh, like, if I was talking about a partnership with someone real estate related, I wouldn't just oh, say that. Oh, I see that. what you're saying. Okay, it's more so, than that. Oh, oh, it's more than that. Okay. <laughs> a marriage okay. is, yes. I saw this one thing, this this meme that talked about it, and it was like, something about your, t- tell us about your daddy, and like, he's really brave. What scares daddy? Mommy. <laughs> and I was like. Okay, that sounds right. Okay. So anyway, so the but the stuff in the news, it's it's pretty much just all that. And then, you know, everyone's waiting for the commercial shoe to drop. I think that's like kind of what we talked about the past few weeks, though. It's like everyone thinks commercial's going to mm-hmm. implode. Yeah. Yeah. Like these buildings are just going to collapse. Not no, we're not no. talking like that. Not funny. <laughs> no, but it's I not think, the way I meant it, by the way. I know. I know. <laughs> but um, I think that it's, I keep saying I think, but it seems like... Commercial has already kind of, I mean, but that's from the pandemic, from working at home, but now that the money is not necessarily as easy for commercial people to do commercial things. I don't know. We'll have to see. So pretty much my news today is no news. Mm-hmm, right. It's kind of like everyone's well, just- I keep waiting for deals to show up in that sector and I haven't seen them yet. No. Know? I mean, I think that there probably are some motivated sellers in that space, but it seems like a lot of people, a lot of- Asset owners are really kind of holding firm. You know, they they know they don't want to fire sale these things, and mm-hmm. and, and it might come to that like they're forced to at some point right. just because of the numbers and the lack of so, revenue yeah, they're getting from these buildings and things. Right. So I'm sure a lot of that will happen, but I haven't seen like mm-hmm. I'm always looking for deals. I haven't seen like An abs- amazing deals yeah. pop up in that area. But even like the residential, we know that that's slower now. I'm not seeing like screaming deals. No. Things no, are it's still just selling. a lack of supply. Right. I think that's what's really uh, stabilizing prices, the lack of supply. Obviously, the interest rates went way up. And obviously, if buyers are going to purchase something, their payment's going to be a lot higher. So you'd think that the prices would really suffer. really haven't seen that. Not no. in our area, at least. I mean, I think it's it's gone down a little. It's stabilized a little. Mm-hmm. And it seems like certain segments are selling a lot quicker. You know, like the numbers that we would talk about here have absolutely nothing to do with anywhere else because it's like to say, oh, but they... Under three million is stabilized. Seems absolutely yeah. ridiculous yeah. when the comparable home to what we're talking about would be like three hundred thousand somewhere. So this, I, they call it the sunshine tax, Heather. Is that what they call it? Okay, yeah, I've heard that, but I'm I want a refund from this year. <laughs> this year, yeah, yeah that's it's been great. cloudy, but I don't know. We'll see because it, it feels like summer. It feels like the this past week things have switched, right? Mm-hmm. And summer is people like to move during summer before kids go back to school. 
So we'll see if that, you know, I don't know. We'll have to see. But anyways, I consider this week no news is good news. All right. Well, let's move on from the no news then. Okay. So we're talking about due diligence, which is you do your due diligence. There's a due diligence period. It's like a, a word that means right. a lot You're of doing your things. research. Yeah. During that period. And you have, you actually shared your list. I just pulled it off here. It's a checklist, Heather. Checklist. It actually is. See, checklist and everything. Yeah, we don't have a color printer, so it's black and white on this paper. Pretend it's colorful. <laughs> <laughs> awkward but it, you've got all this stuff on here and then you actually I, I like how you you lay it out it's got like what needs to be done some information an actual check like a spot to check it off and then contacts and, and by the way just a quick reminder uh-huh. I, I think i mentioned it but in order to get this checklist you have to go to landconquest.com join our community okay you can do that so at the top here it says our name hmm. oh that means just our name our name how we name a property Okay. So we use a certain naming thing so we can identify one property versus the next. Like we use the county name, the street name, and the acreage. That's how we identify property. So that's what I would put in that blank. Yeah. And that I think actually, I don't know if we've actually talked about that, but it is so imperative to do that because you're doing it. There's so many people that have their hands on these properties and mm-hmm. there's no, we started off just saying, oh, I don't know how we were doing it. Like a, na- a street yeah, and like acreage name. or something. Yeah. And it was like, that's great until you had, it was like your sixth one on, on the same street. Or I don't know, everyone names has the name church in it. Yeah. No matter what state, it's like church lane, church road, something. I was like, okay, that's great. But like, yeah. I'm, you know, so I was like, Pete, we got to get, and then you came up with that. So start from the beginning, naming them right. Right. So use that. It works well. You don't need to read again. What is it? We used the county name, uh-huh. dash street name, uh-huh. dash acreage. Right. And especially if you buy a property where there's um, like you, you've done before where you've bought a big one and then you break it down into different ones, mm-hmm. that acreage might not seem important, right. but it, it helps like, wait, are you talking about the 13 acre one or the 56 acre one? You know, what piece yeah. of, this, of this thing? Okay. So our name, so we give it a name, county name, street name, and then um, you even have like, check that off. Okay. You've named it. Mm-hmm. And if we had a contact, which we don't for that part, but the next one, purchase contract date. Oh yeah. That's just the date that we went under contract. So it happens, you know, and this is the one thing I want to clarify too. You're not under contract until both parties sign it. So we send out offers all the time in the mail. That's what we do to generate our leads. And we don't sign them when we send out the offers. When they come back, sometimes they mail them back to us. But by the time we get it in our mailbox, it may be a week after they actually signed it. So it's not the date that they signed it. It's the date that we sign it also. That's the date that you're under contract. Right. Both it's like a, it's an executed contract. Exactly. Okay. So, and that's important because a lot of there's a sometimes like, okay, it's going to be a two week escrow or three week escrow. You need to know that date. Yeah. It's, or, it's all the timelines. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the next thing you have is the street name, street which name. we talked about ca- right. um, the county, the mm-hmm. state. Right. And then parcel number. Yep. Parcel number. Every piece of land that we buy or any property has a parcel number. Sometimes it's called APN, assessor's parcel number or parcel ID, some places call it that. But basically a weird, uh, sometimes it's a very short number, but a lot of times it's a very long number with a bunch of dashes and letters and everything, very complicated. So use that number to identify the property. So it always, in each county, they have their separate naming convention for that. So you always look up the county and then you give the parcel number and then you can identify that property. Right, and that's important because the attorney's office will need it. Um, if you had to look up tax stock, anything like that, they'll yeah. ask, that's, they ask you, what's the APN? It's kind of like your social security number, but for the property. Right. And the other thing too, is that um, we could have used that as our identifier, except for that, like you said, it's so different in all these different yeah. 
you know, and also like at the top of your head, if you're not going to remember, like if you have a bunch of different properties and I'm like, hey, but we're talking about one, three, seven, two, dash, twelve, five. But if I said Henderson County. Yeah. Henderson 14 acre property. Yeah. Right. Sky Lane. Right. You know, then you'd be like, okay, it'll jog that memory. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, you could add that on too, but okay. So, and then we talk about, it's got, you have acres. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We obviously put the acres down there as well. Right. We're buying land. And it's good to know, you know, mm-hmm. it's having this all in one place, too. Mm-hmm. And then the next one is the estimated resale price. Want to learn the secret to building a thriving land flipping business? Head on over to landconquest.com and join over 2,000 passionate land flippers leveraging the power of community to scale quickly. Sign up for free at landconquest.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, so that's the initial resale price that we've come up with. And when we've looked at the property and checked comps and everything, what do we think we could sell it for? That's what goes in that blank. And that's not like the be all. That'll change. It might yeah, or might it not. Might, it might not. Yeah. But that's kind of our initial thoughts of what we're thinking. So okay. this kind of first section that we went through is kind of just the basic information about the property to collect it all, all in one spot. It's not anything to do with the research yet except for that that resale price. And you start doing this list as soon as it goes into contract. Yeah. Right? As soon as we have a contract on it, we start one of these checklists and then we, we start filling it out. And then it allows us to to go through and see, okay, did we check this? Did we check that? Did we look into this? What's the deal with that? What's the deal with that? So it allows us to keep everything organized and helps us not to miss certain things, actually. And that's the thing, because if you've got more than one property, it can get confusing. Yeah. Even if one property, it gets confusing. Right, There's a lot true. of moving, moving pieces. Right. And it's just more of having it all in one place, too. Now, would do you have you already opened escrow yet? We'd be doing it, this at the same time. So as soon as we get that signed contract with us... You know, I've got a team that really helps us go through the whole process. But as soon as we put a property under contract, it kind of fires off a whole sequence of events. The contract goes to our transaction manager who then, you know, their responsibility is to open up the the transaction with the escrow attorney title company. It also goes to our due diligence manager who then orders the photographer, starts this checklist here, orders another some other stuff that we do on the back end in order to kind of get our research going on the property. Okay. So multiple people are doing different things. Right. Okay. Um, and then um, the next thing on there is photos, like you just said. So that's probably you'd say, yep, ordered them or. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who's, who's doing them in that there's a, a number of uh, blanks on here, like photos that were, that would be where we put the link to the photos. Okay. That we have the, like the folder mm-hmm. with all the photos. And that's why also if you're doing properties in different areas, it's great to have that contact. Because you know, like if you need to search for them, who did that? Mm-hmm. Look where yeah. to look for them or follow up. Hey, has, has this been done? Okay. And then you have deed. Right. Deed. Yeah. That were, would be where we put the link to the deed. The previous deed, you know, the whoever owns it right now, if we can find it, we'll put a link to that deed there. Okay. And then deed restrictions and a question mark. Yeah. So this is one thing we always check on these deeds. Sometimes you'll see stuff on there that lists certain restrictions, like, you know, we've seen all kinds of stuff before, some legal, some illegal, some from the way... Uh, some racist it, things. Yeah, yeah, like- yeah some, some, some crazy things that, that definitely would not fly uh, these days. But, you know, we've seen stuff like, um, you know, you can only have a manufacturer, you can only have a, a stick-built home here or um, site-built home, they call it, instead of mobile home, you know, things like that. So you'd write in there, hey, this can't happen. And then you'd look around like on the map and like if everyone has our, our mobile homes, uh-huh. that could affect it yeah, or not. Yeah, or, you, know. But, you know, like a lot of these r- type of rural properties, we always look into that because it's easier to sell if it, if it generally allows a mobile home, unless it's a premium kind of area. Mm-hmm. 
because a lot of people are just looking for a property where they can just wheel a mobile home on there and make it easy and, right. and know, well, live there. Right. It's reasonable living. Mm-hmm. So right. uh, that makes sense. Um, so it's more just like as we're doing the final decision, you need to have all this. You need to know all these things. Yeah. So we'll look on the deed. We'll just make sure there's nothing weird on there. And then if there is anything weird, we'll, we'll note it there. Or Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Weird, you probably would pass on. I mean, no, well, no, that's not what I mean. Weird, you wouldn't note it, but significant, you would note it. Because we see yeah. weird stuff that we wouldn't put on there. Yeah, but, well, yeah. Know. So if, there, if anything that's going to affect the potentially affect the value of the property, we would put it on there. Okay. And then you have a plat map. Plat map. Yeah, that's we would just put a link to the plat map. If we can find it in the public records, basically the plat map is another word for that is a survey. It's basically just a map. You know, drawn out on a piece of paper. You know, you surveyor. See the boundary, boundaries yeah, and the a surveyor has generally done that and recorded that with the county. Sometimes we can find that. Sometimes we can't. But if we can find it, we're putting a link to it there, so we we have that. Very good. Um, zoning and use table. Yeah. So the other thing that's uh, important that we kind of look into is the potential buildability of a property, and zoning is one of those things that's really important to check out. Each area kind of has uh, these zoning charts and zoning tables and things. So we'll try to find that online and put a link to it right there. And what will it show? It'll show what's permitted in a particular area. It'll it'll say, okay, you'll look on the map and you'll see, okay, this property is within this zone that's R3. Mm-hmm. And then you actually look into their paperwork for that particular county and you'll see what can you do with R3. R3 means that you could build a single family home, you could have a farm, you could put up a bowling alley. I don't know. So right. it'll tell you like all the per- permitted use or, and some of the things that are not permitted for, for that type of zoning. But the zoning is important because if you've got an idea that you're going to put a junkyard there, you better be buying something that's permitted for something like that. Yeah. Zoned for something like that. Or you're going to build a single family home mm-hmm. and it's, you notice there's hog farms everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And only hog farms are permitted. Okay. Well, I haven't seen that zoning, but maybe it's out there. <gasps> If you guys need help, you know, creating new uh, zoning restrictions, let me know. Uh, okay. Um, and then you have wetlands. Wetlands. Yeah. So if there's any wetlands on the property, we would note that here as well. You know, we generally find that out by looking at our software land ID. It has these overlays that, you know, we look up a parcel and then we could see on that parcel where wetlands are if there are any so we'll just note that hand like yeah they're here a quarter of it Mm -hmm. half of it it's all yeah because i didn't check that initially when we were when i was buying properties and i bought a property once that had a bunch of wetlands on it and i didn't even realize it so it affected the value of the property i still did okay on it but it would have been nice to know that right (laughs) right it's true and especially for people like us that don't live necessarily where wetlands are. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just not something you're thinking about. They're dry lands here. Yeah, I know. Seriously. <laughs> okay, and then FEMA zone. Yeah, the FEMA flood zone. Um, that is basically areas that could flood in potentially heavy rainfall or, you know, like if a river crests or something like that, mm-hmm. then, you know, the surrounding areas might be in a flood zone, you know. So maybe there's no rain there, but if there is rain, you know, an hour away, and then it, it'll flood that river. You know, so that type of things can happen. So FEMA, they do these maps and show exactly what areas are going to flood. So on some of these properties, they ha- they're in the flood zone. And it could be a 100-year flood zone, like once in 100 years it'll flood there, or once in 500 years, or they have all different classifications. But it's important to know. And generally, you shouldn't be building a house in the flood zone unless you 
specifically prepare for that. You know, maybe it's a house on stilts or maybe you build up some some ground there so it's outside of the flood zone. There's different ways to get around that. But wetlands, you can't really do anything with wetlands. Flood zone, there are some ways to deal with that sometimes. Right. And you can't see them necessarily just by looking. That's the reason why these yeah. this is so important because you could go there and be like, this is fine. It's but dry. It could be, it's, you, know, right. you wouldn't be able to tell. Right. Okay. That's good. And then um, you have access. Access. Yes. Access is very important. Obviously, access is one of those things that you can see it on the map sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's right along a road. It's meaning like the access to the property, how you would access, get onto yeah, it. Yeah, how would you get onto the property? Right. Sometimes it's down a dirt road. Sometimes it's uh, there's no access. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes there's a, some access in the deed, but there's no actually physical road to get there. So we just note the access there on, on our spreadsheet. And, and we just make sure that we're, we're checking into that, basically. Right. So it's not just identifying what the legal access is, but then going and making sure that if it's there's no like you know, stone fence blocking it. Because even though you legally have it, it, what kind of fight do you want to put into it? Or maybe it's an easy thing. Right. So you need to to see that. Okay. And then septic or sewer. Septic or sewer. This is one of the things that we look into to try to determine if the property is buildable. And uh, septic is what you are going to be doing if there are is no public sewer in that area. When a lot of these rural properties, they have no access to any sort of public well, sewer. Common, so, yeah. yeah. So you're going to have to put in a septic system and the septic system deals with the waste on the property. So when you flush your toilet, that's where it, go, where it goes into the septic tank and septic system. Thank you. That's, so, that's yeah, enough. You yeah. want me to go into further detail? No. no, I'm good. Thank you. Look at Anyhow, yeah. you want to check in to see if a septic is, is a possibility there. So that's what that. And that. it's not, it's funny because if you're not used to it, like I didn't grow up with septic. I didn't even know what septic was until I was a teenager and mm-hmm. learned about that. So if you're not familiar with it, I thought, oh no, it's horrible, but it's not. It's just, it is, it's just how it's done. I'm sure inside those septic tanks, it's horrible. <laughs> Thankfully, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and I don't want to find out. Did you know about septic? Were there, where you grew up, was there septic? Yeah, there were septic tanks there. I mean, my grandparents had septic. Okay, yeah. yeah. No, my ours were all on. But I didn't really think about it too much. No, it's not something right. I know, as a kid, wasted like, any of my time. No, I with. wonder if this is sewer septic as a ten-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's you know if that's not common in your area, it's really not a big deal. I mean, it is a big deal mm-hmm. if it, if you can't get it to park, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And which keep going here. Um, water source. Bless you, Heather. <laughs> Thank you. My sneezes are so much louder. Thank you. My sneezes would blow out this uh, <laughs> this, this panel scare, here. Scare everybody, huh? Uh, yeah. So what what did you say? Uh, <laughs> uh, water source. Yeah, water source. Yeah. Are you on public water or potentially well water there? So that's uh, that's generally what we look at. You know, if it's closer to a town or city, a lot of times they've got the public water that you can tap into. But in a lot of the rural areas, they are wells only. And some of the states, it's no problem generally getting a well you drill deep enough, you're going to have access to groundwater. Some of the areas, it's a bigger concern. Like, does your property actually have water if you drill down there? You know, is there groundwater to actually tap into? So it's a, it's a concern in some areas. In some areas, actually, they have to truck in water. Mm-hmm. You just put a big water tank in your property and you pay for a service to come, you know, drop, drop off water every week or so. And if that's what all the neighbors have, it's not a big, again, it's, like it's people buying customary it. customary for the area. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's not scary. So these aren't all necessarily like yes or no's. They're just like, we need to know the information. Mm-hmm. Okay, so electric, same kind of thing. Yeah, electric, you know, even in a lot of these rural areas that we deal in, electric is generally available. And I say that generally, but there are areas outside of that. But, but a lot of times you have 
fairly close access to electricity, but we just always check into that. Some properties we've run into that haven't. But these days, too, there are options when it comes to electric. You know, the solar technologies are, are really getting uh, a lot better and maybe wind in some areas and then battery storage. So mm-hmm. it's a combination of those two things. So if you don't have electricity, there are some options these days. Right. So it doesn't instantly make it a no, but you just need to look a little deeper. And then you said, are, you know, you're checking for taxes current. Are they... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's an item on the checklist that we've got. You know, that's basically for us to know: Are we going to have to be paying back taxes during the transaction process? Because what we do when we buy these properties, we make it as easy as possible for the sellers. So we are always uh, telling them that we will cover any back taxes as part of the transaction. Now, if it comes back and they're really high and it messes up our numbers and everything, then we have a discussion and try to renegotiate that point. Right. You'll be like, hey, this was way more than that, but we can still buy it, but we need a discount to cover that. Exactly. And title, Mm -hmm. if you go through a title company, Mm -hmm. escrow attorney, they figure out where you're at with the taxes and they make sure that's settled at closing. So it's not going to be something that you're hit with as a surprise afterwards. So it's important, you know, we have it on our checklist because we like to know what we're getting into and if it's going to be a problem or not. Right. Before you keep going Mm -hmm. down that. And then buildable. Buildable, yeah. We always try to figure out if a property is buildable or not. If a property is buildable, it's generally going to be worth more than a property that's just solely recreational and has not, no potential to build. Most properties are buildable if you put in the effort and, and maybe the extra money in order to make them buildable. But most properties are buildable. The ones that are not are ones that are, don't have access or the slope is too steep or they're all wetlands or something like that. So uh, we generally deal in the properties that are buildable, but from time to time we'll get a property that's really not, I mean, maybe it's potentially buildable, but it, it's maybe not the best use for the property. Well, you're not like looking for a spot where you're getting a certificate guaranteeing its no. buildability. You're just looking at like the overview. Is there anything that's saying it's not buildable? Exactly. It's yeah, really we're looking, looking for those for. red flags that are saying, uh, no, you can't, you know, you can't do this here because of that. Right. Something that jumps out. It's like absolutely mm-hmm. off the table. Right. Okay, and then um, we touched on this a little bit, but you have a, a spot here, too, for mobile homes. Like, are mm-hmm. they allowed or not, I would assume? Yeah, that's one of those questions that we always ask the municipalities. Mm-hmm. You know, we ask, you know, generally it'll stay in the zoning, but we'll ask them, hey, are mobile homes allowed here? And if so, what are any restrictions to that? Sometimes they'll say, only new mobile homes you can put there. Or, you know, so they ha- they all have different rules. So we just ask about that. Okay. And then the next one is perk test needed. If it is in an area where this needs a septic system, is it um, is it something where we'll we'll need to get a perk test? And we just kind of make a determination on each property. They have soil maps, and we generally will sometimes reach out to a soil scientist to let them, you know, see if they can give us their thoughts on a particular property. You know, you can see sometimes too, like if all the properties are built around it and it's very similar to that, you have a good indication it's probably going to be okay for something like a, like a perk test. So we look at it on a case by case basis. And if we're concerned about it at all, you know, specifically if it's only a property that's a building site, not something that could potentially be a recreational property as well, we'll probably do a perk test during the, you know, the escrow period. Okay, so if it's questionable, test because yeah. you don't want to be stuck with a property that right. fails. Right. But if it, so you're not doing it for every single one. No, it's just ones that are like jump out at you. It's like ah, we should just do. Yeah, we should extra. be safe. Mm-hmm. Under that is perk test uh, completed. So if yeah, we, we would just check that off if we did it then. So under that is um, survey needed. Survey needed. 
Yeah, most of the times we don't get surveys, but it does mm-hmm. come up from time to time where we will hire a surveyor during the escrow due diligence period. And why would that be? Like, why would you do it? Most of the time it's because the attorney or the title company requires it. Oh, okay. Because on some of these older deeds, they have these really strange legal descriptions like, you know, start at the stump on John Smith's property and go 233.5 feet to the tree over here. You know, like all this crazy stuff that are really from olden times. Right. And basically that goes, that legal description goes on the deed. And if it's too outdated, the the John title has company, gotten rid of his stump. Yeah, and, the, yeah exactly. Know, the like, attorney or the title company is going to say, hey, you're going to get it, need to get it surveyed. So then, you know, everyone knows specifically what it is that you're buying. Well, and it makes sense because if there's ever a claim on that title, like in the you need the title insurance, they're, you know, like say someone says you're encroaching or encroaching or something, you know, like that you actually need that. Right. And also if you're doing, if it's an issue now, it'll be an issue when you go to sell it and you want to make that as, as seamless as possible. Exactly. And maybe even issues might come up. Like when you're doing the survey, they're like, this is definitely that here. And yet there's a house and, you know, on it or something. Yeah, one time, and this is quite recently, we were buying a property and it appeared that the neighbor, like they had a shed and a little garage. It appeared that that property was encroaching on the driveway to go into the property that we were buying. Boost your land flipping earnings with our new Land Conquest business system. It's designed for efficiency and effectiveness. This cutting-edge software tool is your key to success in the land flipping industry. Streamline and automate your operations to scale your business to new heights. With our system, you get a customizable website with six professional templates to choose from, up to five dedicated phone numbers, each with their own chosen area codes for creating a trustworthy local presence. And as a bonus, you'll get a $25 credit for SMS and email sends. You'll also get access to our tech team to build any automations or customizations that you want. And not to mention, we've got a great dedicated community to the Land Conquest business system to help us all thrive together. And with every step of the way, you get our 24-7 live chat support. But that's not all. You'll also gain access to our exclusive community to connect and grow with fellow land flippers. Seize the opportunity to transform your business. Visit software.landconquest.com to check out the Land Conquest business system and unlock the next stage of your land flipping success. And it was a very narrow driveway, you know, 30 feet wide driveway to access the big part of the property. So it was kind of like a flag lot, as they call it. Mm -hmm. So in that case, they weren't requiring me to get a survey, but I felt like it was a good idea to do that just to make sure, like I wasn't, you can never tell online if the lot lines that are on there match up perfectly with what's on the ground. So I thought, well, maybe just those lines are off. But I decided to get a survey because I didn't want to get stuck with uh, some sort of neighbor dispute where their shed is like blocking our driveway and stuff. So we did. We got the survey. Cost us $3,000. And then we found out that the neighbor was, in fact, (laughs) blocking that driveway with their shed. You know, they built on our property that we were buying. So what did we do? Um, I canceled the deal so and had to pay the $3,000 survey. Mm-hmm. But it saved us from getting what? into a bad deal. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I actually don't think <laughs> I told you about this. But <laughs> but I looked at it as an insurance policy. And uh, yes, lost $3,000 paying that surveyor, but saved us from a bad deal. The upside was there. So I figured it was worth the gamble. It just didn't work out in my favor. And, you know, I used to get kind of 
my personality is like, that's a waste of $3,000. Like you literally just threw away $3,000, right? That was kind of how my personality would, mm-hmm. would portray that. But I, not anymore because you spend $3,000 and you probably save 60000 or more, plus a neighbor dispute, plus, plus, plus. Right. And also then there's the holding costs. You're going to hold that money longer because you're going to have to remedy this. Yeah, and, and waste all my time trying right. to solve some dispute with the neighbor. And then how do you remedy that? I mean, like, I know how you remedy that, but also how do you, like, what would be the easiest way? There's no easy way. It's literally on that. He'd have to buy that, but then, okay, so then where's your driveway? Like, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, really the only way to, I mean, in this situation, the neighbor was renting, you know, so it was a property that wasn't very nice. And I doubt that the property owner or the tenant that was living there really had the the resources to deal with the problem. So what are you going to do? You're going to have to, you know, pay them maybe to just be able to rip it down down. or something. Well, you're going to have to pay for that. Right. It it would be on you. You tear it down. Um, I think it's funny, though, because we did buy a house one time, a long time ago, remember? And it was, we were about to close and it came back that... Yeah, they messed up the legal description. Right. Mm -hmm. It was like, was was the property we bought on theirs or was theirs on ours? I don't remember. Well, what in a previous transfer, like they didn't, the the legal description was messed up. Yeah. Yeah. Like they somehow, there was an error back then and they they transferred it and no one caught it. And then when they were doing a final review before we were buying it, they were like, wait, this legal description's messed up. And the lot line was nowhere on this legal description, the lot line was nowhere close to where it was supposed to be. So. It was just a whole hassle to get that all fixed. Right. But yeah, and it sucked. But the reality is that it taught you a lesson. Right. And now you're more aware of that. Mm -hmm. So it's just not worth it. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you spend money to save money. It just is what it is. Um, Okay. Um, And then you have survey completed. I think I I Mm -hmm. said survey needed and then survey completed. So if it was marked as yes, needed, and then you might even put why you wanted it. And then survey complete, you'd say yes and a link to it or the the reasoning. Okay. Uh, it's pretty much just all that you, it's just like a one-sheeter that, well, it's one-sheeter and one line mm-hmm. that you can look at quickly and get all everything you need all right. in one place. The next thing is slope concerns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, slope concerns. If the property is very sloped, you know, we'll generally note that on there because it's um, it's something that you have to really take into consideration. You know, is it is the property flat and or gentle, it's not really, it's not going to be a concern in any way. But if it's sloped, you really need to know how sloped it is. And we'll look at the photos and try to determine that. So I And then what are you going to do? Like, you have to have that plan. Like, who would buy it? Mm-hmm. What would they have to do? Is it going to be, you know, right? remove the resistance? Just an extra layer of complexity. And you need to be buying it a lot cheaper, generally, if it's a pretty sloped property. Right. And maybe everyone on that street is sloped, and mm-hmm. it's no big deal. Right. But you, you need to know that. Um, okay. And then you have oil, gas, mineral. Yeah, so we generally we have all of our contracts state that the oil, gas, and mineral rights transfer with the property. If there's anything there to note, like say for instance, the seller says, "Well, I sold off the mineral rights 50 years ago," we would note that here. Is that pretty common? Some areas, some areas it's common. And is that a big deal if you sold off the mineral rights? Would someone still want to buy it to build a house on it? Uh, potentially. It just depends on the area. You know, a lot of these coal areas, mm-hmm. the mineral rights maybe were sold many years ago, but no one's going to be Looking, digging, digging right. for coal these days. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. Oil and gas rights, that's a pretty common thing in some areas. You know, they've sold the rights basically below the surface. 
and whoever they sold that to has the right to come in there and drill a well. So it's not the end of the world. You can still build a house there, and that's pretty common in certain areas. And these are pipe bigger lots. So it's not like a quarter mm-hmm. acre where right. they're going to put like this big, <laughs> you big know, oil derrick right uh-huh. beside your house. Yeah. It's yeah. like your master or your Squeaking primary bedroom window. Night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. There's getting some oil. No big deal. Um, okay. Uh, and then you also have on here a broker opinion, which I like to call BPO. Yeah. Yeah. BPO. That's another term for it. Broker price opinion mm-hmm. or just broker opinion. But basically that's another thing on our checklist for due diligence. We always make sure to get an opinion from a local land broker that knows what they're talking about. And uh, we put their opinion of what it's worth and any sort of comments that they have right here. But I guess it's not exactly the same because like a formal broker price opinion is like a, you know. Yeah, a, it could be a big report. Right. And mm-hmm. this is not. This is like, hey, Pete went out to that place or just looked on or I know it. Right. And that neighborhood's great. There was a hog farm <laughs> three streets over, but you can't smell it anymore. Um <laughs> And I think you sell for $80,000. Exactly. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, that's within my range. Okay. okay. So you're not asking him to go detail, like deep no, into this. No, really. not, not really. I just want them to understand it. And always after we get photos back from the photographer as well, and any of this due diligence that's mm-hmm. that could affect the value, mm-hmm. we'll send that over to the broker and say, hey, I know you initially thought $80,000, but here's all the information. Here are the photos. Here's the inspection from the property. Can we get 500000 Yeah. Are you still thinking 80000 <laughs> Yeah. Can we get 500000 now? <laughs> you can sell for 500000 right? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what it, it's going to take to make sense. Can we do that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, our thing is just to kind of like, now that we have all this information, we just are kind of like confirming, hey, are we still on the same page here? Okay. And then you said um, the next thing is miscellaneous notes. Yeah. So if there's any anything miscellaneous that didn't fit into any of those other categories, we would write that in mm-hmm. there and make note of it. All kinds of weird stuff comes up on these properties in our research. So we just need it noted if there is something odd that we should be aware of. Mm-hmm. Consideration or something. And then the last part is final review. Yeah. So that's that's pretty much my spot. I can kind of look at all this information that's compiled and it's easy for me to then just go through everything quickly. I do my final review, check the box, and that's yeah, it. Yeah, nay. Yep. Yeah. I think it's also important to do, to have it, even if it's just you, your one-man show or one-woman show, to have it systemized where, you know, I even said at one point, like, numbers or something, mm-hmm. whatever works for you, so that, you know, you're using the same terminology, so you're really, when you're looking at these things, just, oh, I checked this off, and it, it means the same each time. Mm-hmm. It, like, you don't check it off till it's completely done, not like, right. I, you know, something like that, so... That's great. Where can they find this again? Yes, go to landconquest.com. That is our land flipping community, and that's where our land flipping training program uh, will be will be released very soon. And obviously, as we've mentioned, that is completely free. And why are we doing it for free, Heather? Good question. Uh, one of my big goals is to teach a bunch of people how to do the exact same thing that we're doing, you know, how to flip land, how to make money doing and all that. And I know one of the big concerns with a lot of investors and newer investors especially is like, hey, this sounds great. I think I could do all this. I think I could find these deals, but I don't have the money to actually pay for them like fund and, the and deals. fund the deal and do the, all that part. So, which is why we are doing a whole funding and uh, program that where we can partner with our students. So I know that by teaching people how to do this, a lot of great deals will come our way and we'll be the ones that can actually partner with them if they'd like. So that's- I know a lot of people are like, well, are you doing this out of the bottom of your heart and stuff? I mean, yeah, it's great that we're helping people mm-hmm. like, and there'll be a certain percentage that are going to take this and run with it. And, but it will help us too, because we'll be able to fund the deals and we'll 
make money off of that. So, exactly. I mean, it's just being upfront. Like that's the whole reason you're giving everything. You want them to be successful. Like this has everything in it. Everything. 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 I mean, everything. 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 Yeah. I like messing with you. It's kind of fun. Go ahead, Heather. Mess with me all you want. <laughs> well, now I'm really going to mess with you because I've got some questions from the community. Okay. You ready great. for that? I'm ready. Fire okay. away. I haven't seen any of these yet. Pete picked them all out. He <laughs> sent them to me to, to read off. Okay. So Gene asks, transmission lines, are they a, sh- uh, a showstopper? Hey, everyone. I'm considering buying a rural property for a potential div- subdivision play. However, there is a transmission line crossing the property as shown in the image below. I'm wondering how much this affects the value of the parcel. Am I correct in considering the left, top left corner of the land as waste and try to negotiate a price reduction for it? Anyone experienced this situation before? So I can't really show you guys the picture, but in the upper, I'd say it's taking up about 25% of the corner of the property. It looks kind of like a square. Yeah. I can't tell how big this is acre-wise. Yeah, and, and I asked a follow-up question on that thread, and I think it was a larger property, 40 acres, something like that, if my memory serves me. But I, I just want to get into I highlighted this because I wanted to get into that because it happens a lot in these rural areas. A lot of times you'll get a property back, and there's these big power lines that run We're through the property. We're not talking the ones that come from your to the house. Right. It's like the big, big I, ones. I think everyone has, like those really huge ones that have mm-hmm. the... Right, and it happens quite a bit. And what happens is basically these utility companies have an easement through this property where you really can't do anything with the pro- with that area. They paid the previous owner or one of the previous owners at some point in order to be able to cut through their property and have these transmission lines there forever. Mm-hmm. So one thing you need to look at, first of all, is you can't even consider that as part of the acreage. So same for instance, these transmission lines are taking up 10% of the property. You'd initially, you'd definitely want to knock off that 10% of the acreage when you're trying to figure out the value of that property. Next, there's always going to be setbacks to those. If you're going to do any sort of development on that property, there's going to be setbacks, required setbacks. You might be 100 feet in some areas, maybe 150, you know, different areas have different things. And the other thing to consider is if you're going to do some sort of residential subdivision where that is, it's not going to be very desirable for those homes right along that area. They're not going to want to be looking at these huge transmission lines. It's just not as desirable. So that's going to affect the value. With all that being said, we've bought and sold a lot of properties like this. As long as you get them for the right price, um, people will buy them. And a lot of times they end up being recreational properties or something like that, or maybe a home site that's on the other portion of the property, not really close to where the transmission lines are. You just have to take it into consideration. It's not something that I would definitely take off the table. But if you are going to do a residential subdivision, just realize that you're probably going to have to stay pretty far away from those, both for the fact of the required setbacks, but also the fact that homeowners are are not really going to want to live close to those huge transmission lines either. So, Right. So I I think as long as you go into it with all that, it's it's not... A deal breaker. No, it's not a deal breaker. You just need to know. You got to get it for the right price. Right. And it has to be big enough that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like I had, I had one property, many properties probably that came through where, you know, maybe a 10 acre property and eight of them are under these, uh, under the transmission line. So you you can't do much with something like that. Um, No, this, obviously I wouldn't recommend it to somebody like just getting started and stuff, but theoretically that could be something that would be good for possibly. Oh, yes. What could it be good for? Solar farm mm-hmm. or wind farm, maybe. Yeah. So having access to those big transmission lines like that could be a real gold mine for something like that because it's 
easy to tap into those uh, easier. I mean, right. there's a whole process you got to go through, <laughs> but uh, you don't have to, you know, run a mile of, of like uh, lines to in order to tap into something like mm-hmm. that. So it's going to be a lot more cost effective generally. Right. But that's not going to be like a project that you can flip your money in tomorrow or anything. like no, that. No, that's a long term thing. Right. And you need to kind of know what you're doing. Yeah. Okay. I would suggest that. Right. Um, okay. Next question is from Alan. Where to list uh, FISBOs? Do you call them FISBOs or FSBO? FISBO. Right? Okay. Yeah, for sale by owners. Yeah, that's what I... Okay. Where are the best places to list a FISBO? I need to sell a property in Arkansas that my dad has owned since the 1980s. On a very good day, it could be worth $2,000. With so little value, there is little reason to involve a realtor. Yeah, so something like that, I would probably list it on Facebook Marketplace. Facebook Marketplace used to be pretty good for those cheaper type lots. You'd get a lot of activity. They've recently kind of throttled things down. But what has always been kind of um, successful for those types of properties is listed on Facebook Marketplace. And then from there, you can share that listing into the local groups. So it could be local buy-sell groups or local land groups and things. There's a lot of different groups in there. So I would search for groups in that area that could be applicable Join those groups, do your Facebook listing, and then share that Facebook listing to those groups. The other thing you can do sometimes is to use Craigslist. I was just going to say, does that still? Well, yeah, sometimes Craigslist can actually be pretty decent. Uh, It just depends on the area. Mm -hmm. Some areas it's happening. Some areas it's not happening. There's just crickets there. Mm -hmm. We've gotten some good leads that have sold properties on Craigslist. You got to manage your expectations. It may not produce anything. Right. Kind of, it's weird. It used to be the, the thing. Oh, yeah. It used to be the it. Yeah. What about eBay? Are you looking for funding for your land flipping deal? Then head on over to partnerwithpete.com. It's an innovative new funding program where we split the profits with you 50-50, but we take it one step further and we handle every other step of the process in the land flipping business. Yes, that means we handle all the due diligence. If the property needs any value add like clearing brush, perk test, survey, we'll get that paid for up front. Then when the property resells, We split the profits 50-50. There is absolutely no downside for you as an investor. If we lose money, we don't pass that on to you. But when we make money, when we make profit, we split the proceeds 50-50. So as a recap, we handle every part of the process. We split the profits with you 50-50. There's no downside for you as the investor, only upside. So go to partnerwithpete.com, submit your deal there, and we'll get it checked out within 24 hours. eBay? Yeah, I, I think some people sell cheaper lots on eBay. You know, that used to be kind of a big thing. You know, a lot of the properties on there get sold by owner financing and that type of thing. So they'll do these, you know, desert type squares, as they call them, put them on eBay, you know, and then you're bidding on the down payment or something like that. It seems like for the more, uh, for the cheaper lots, or I should say the less least, less priced lots, it almost feels more like personal property. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you think of it, like someone might not buy that in the same or for the same reasoning as other places it's more like a just to have you know what i mean like you actually could get someone who's not even thinking of buying a oh, yeah. property like that they might stumble be on a, and they say oh i know that area two, yeah. th- two grand i'll buy it yeah, yeah. exactly okay. yeah the other thing is probably for a two thousand dollar property i wouldn't do it there's always the flat fee mls listing services as well certain areas have them certain areas don't but generally, you'd pay two, three hundred bucks and be able to get into the MLS. Now, when you do that, then you're going to have to be able to offer a commission to the buyer's agent if there is one. But doing that will get you on, you know, the realtor.com and 
places like that. And you're still acting like your own. Like the person that you're paying to list it, they're literally just listed. That's all they do. Yeah, they're entry they're only, f- they call it. Yeah, they're yeah. not going to field your phone calls or anything like that. Buyers or other agents are going to be calling you directly. Right. And normally you'd pay the buyer's agent and the seller's agent. And this one, you would only have to pay the buyer's agent because you are the seller's right. agent. Our what next, else you got for me, Heather? I know. Our next question comes from Bill. Um, ben. I don't, sorry, Ben. don't know why I called you Bill. Due diligence question. What price point do you spring for a survey? I've got my first property under contract for 12000 for about 2.2 acres uh, with broker price opinion of 25000 It's located in a well-defined subdivision. So my question is, what uh, would you pay to do a survey during the due diligence at this price? The lot within the subdivision is recorded, so I don't know whether that means a survey is required or not. Generally, if it's within a subdivision, I would not suggest that you get a survey. Now, if you're going through the purchase process with the title company and they're saying, hey, you need to get a survey for one reason or another, then you're kind of forced to. Got to get a survey. Yeah. yeah. But in most cases, you're if, if it's a established subdivision, there's usually something on record already. There's a survey on record. Even if it's a little bit older, generally that's going to be fine. Right. And it's defined by the limits of the other people's properties, too. Right. So it, Surveys don't typically add a lot of value to a property. Like, I wouldn't buy a property and say, I'm going to get a survey and that's going to increase the value of the property. It will help, you know, maybe sell a property in some cases, but a property like that, like a subdivision type property, it's not going to give you any sort of value add. There's going to be no real reason to do that unless it's required. And I don't think a lot of people that buy that aren't professional real estate people think about it. Right. It's like, okay, mine, this is it. And there's normally some sort of, even if it's not correct, like some sort of marker. Oh, my property, the mm-hmm. seller's like, it, it goes to that tree. Yeah. To that tree. Yeah. Know? And if it's been surveyed at some point, you can generally find a stake in the ground. You can mark right. that if you wanted to, or if you wanted to, you could, you could hire some the surveyor to come mm-hmm. out and find those pins and mark them and everything like that. But if he's looking at the same kind of cost as what we've had to pay, $3,000, like, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. No, no, it won't make sense. And there's no question. So, okay. D says, how off limits are landlocked parcels? Ooh, this is a favorite of yours. Okay. Hi, Turning Profit community. As the title suggests, I'm looking at purchasing a landlocked parcel, which normally I wouldn't necessarily consider, but the price the seller is looking for seems extremely favorable, 20 to 5% to 30% market value, retail value. I know the majority of the secret here is to look at the surrounding properties for buyers, but wonder what the exit strategy is if there's no luck with the neighbors wanting the parcel incorporated into their land. Additionally, this is an estate that mandates owner access to the property regardless of easement, road, etc. So owners could still walk through the other's properties to access this one. Does anyone have any stories with this? or successes. Yeah, uh, typically, you know, and I've been pretty vocal about that. We stay away from landlocked properties. But why? Because they're a hassle. You know, even if they're cheap, they'll, you know, a landlocked parcel should be cheap. You know, mm-hmm. 25 to 30% of retail value is probably not cheap enough, actually, for right. what you would you need to buy it for. It's one of those things, like, it's very, they're very tempting because right. they are so cheap. Mm-hmm. But all your buyers are going to want access. You know, there may be some oddballs that are like, hey, you know, I'm fine with landlocked. <laughs> right. Um, but, or I've got a helicopter. Right. Or <laughs> well, we don't know how big it is. Uh-huh. But, yes. You know what I mean? But the other issue is that even if it's like the most amazing property, if I'm going to buy, like just me as a regular retail buyer, and even if you tell me that I legally can walk across 
any of these neighbors, I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. I don't want someone to like pull a rifle on me and, you know, right. or I don't want to be trespassing, even though it's not technically trespassing. I just right. don't want to do it. Right. So I'm going to take that right off the table. Now you, you're more adventurous, mm-hmm. but you're married to me. So you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So they've got that going for me. <laughs> uh, now, so I, you know, it's one of those things, if you don't have a lot of leads coming in, maybe it's something where you've got some time to try to figure out the, to solve the problem. And you just want to do it in a way that's not going to cost you anything. So if you did decide like, hey, I think I'm going to make this work, I'd try to get it even cheaper. First of all, I'd probably get it, try to get it 10 to 15 percent of retail exactly, yeah. value. So then you're buying it so cheap that you maybe could pass it off to someone so cheap as well mm-hmm. and and get out of it. But, you know, there's potentially upside there. You could mail the neighbors and try to sell it to them. But they're going to want it really cheap. They're going to want it cheap, they too. They will, because right. they probably already feel like they own it. Right. Yeah, no one ever accesses it or anything. The other thing you could do is try to pay off one of the neighbors for access. So you could do They're that. They're going to want a lot of money for that. Sometimes. <laughs> Some of them will be really cool and reasonable. Right. You just don't know. So those are the kind of things that you can do with it. So you could either resell it cheap to someone else. You could send out letters to the neighbors to try to sell it to one of them. Or you could try to pay off the neighbors to try to get legal access. That would be your exit strategy on a property like that. And like we should take it farther. Okay, so if it's really big and theoretically it's normal to do, which I don't like hunting, but let's say hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, some yeah there's, people might. There's, there's, po- there's potential buyers that would be But let's be say that you that. can't. No, okay, none of the neighbors want to buy it. None of the neighbors will give you access or like let you have access, like actual like a, uh, a road. None of them will let you pay for access. It's not big enough for them to use it recreationally. Mm-hmm. But I already bought it. Yeah, I would try to figure out that some of that stuff before you buy it. <laughs> that's the, like that's what it gets down yeah. to, right? It's like okay, because it's like that's your worst case scenario. But that's also why you're saying like if the upside's high enough, if you can get it for ten percent, mm-hmm. and the upside's high enough, and you're thinking, well, what is my ultimate? If I exit strategy, I'm donating it. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that would be the lowest. <laughs> right, but then you've lost ten percent plus your time plus everything. Right, and so, you've gotten a tax write off maybe, uh-huh. but but that means that the upside has to be so high. And for some reason, you think it could ha- like work with a neighbor or yeah. something. And you know, the other thing too is not all landlocked properties are equal because how far landlocked are they? Do you have to go through, you know, fifty acres of other properties to get there? <laughs> Six or, properties, or is like, it very close? Uh-huh. And you've got a number of potential routes that you could pay for easements to get to the main road. You know, so you got to kind of look at the at the situation. Like each situation, like are there ten potential neighbors that you could sell it to, or is there? There are two, and you know, so your buyer pool might be a lot different in a case like that. Mm-hmm. So all those factors come into play. I think that that you know what you kind of alluded to before, if you have no other deals, mm-hmm. and you for some reason don't think you can get any other deals, mm-hmm. and there's ups. I don't know. You're just desperate. It could be a proper. Yeah, it could be a project uh-huh. for you to work on. Really learn some things and. and mm-hmm. But it has you know, to be super cheap, and it can't take away from money you would spend on other properties. Exactly. Yeah, that that's a good way to put it. So, I mean, it's a no from me. Okay. Well, no no more landlocked properties for Heather. Wait, are you buying? <laughs> I'll cancel them. Don't worry. No. <laughs> we only bought good. that one that I always talk about, and I'm not buying any more unless it's, un- it's a really good deal. <laughs> right. Pete's, I should create a wall of shame for you. Any, <laughs> wall of any shame. deal that doesn't, and anytime you mention something like that, I just point to like, yeah. Remember that, Peter? Remember could do that? like a video on social media, like my Mocking my worst you? deals, like just no, I like should a slideshow. My mm-hmm. husband, I should do like my husband bought a landlocked property. 
What else do you want to talk about? I well, think that's, we covered that's, everything, That's pretty right? much it. And we've been talking for a long time now, Heather. So uh, w- one thing, I d- a couple things I do want to mention while I still have you is to check out our library of past podcast episodes. I mean, there's a ton of them at this mm-hmm. point. We've got 20-something other episodes, and we've gone into a lot of different things. So if you're at all interested in land flipping, I would definitely suggest taking a uh, listen or a look at those videos because there's a wealth of information in them. And the other thing is to join our land flipping community at landconquest.com. Oh, and one other thing I want to mention, too, is the income reports. Oh, yes. Did Every you month, just release another one? It will. Yeah, maybe. By the time this video comes out, there will be another one. Every month, I do an income report with the progress of our business, the revenue we take in, the profit we do that month, each and every deal that we did that month, you know, like what we bought it for, what we sold it for, profit of that deal, how many days we held it for, bunch of notes on that property, what went well, what went wrong. So every month do that and uh, it'll give you some real insight into this business and what's possible, what types of deals are out there. I think it's um, invaluable because um, you always kind of wonder, like when you see someone doing a business, you're like, okay, well, how how are they really doing? Like how much are they selling and all this kind of stuff? And you can actually see that. You see what you bought a property for, what sold it for, but then also like the notes in your head, like, okay, I wish I had done this one different. I should have paid less for this or wow, I got way more than I thought on this one or. Yeah, exactly. So I try to give as much insight as I can and also as much transparency as I can. So that's kind of my goal with it. So if you're interested in land flipping, definitely check that out. Where There's, do they find those? That's at turningprofit.com. You can find all of those income reports and just keep an eye on it every month. So turning profit for that, but then land conquest. Yeah, that's our land flipping community. And I'm sure we'll have... Yeah, there'll be links to everything there. So Thank you for interpreting my yes, hand signals. This, I was like, uh, sure so like landing a plane. <laughs> Yes. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening or watching or whatever the case may be. And we'll see you next week. Bye. All right. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. And if you're ready to start turning profit yourself, visit our website at turningprofit.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please help spread the word by sharing it with a friend. See you on the next episode.